With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Worth, I'm here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash backslash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Our guest this week is Kevin Anderson, who in addition to being the number five ranked player this week um, is also really leading the way in terms of tennis and sustainability efforts. You perhaps read some of his writing on Sports Illustrated's tennis site last week about what tennis can do to rein in its use of plastics, especially single-use plastics. And this is a broader discussion about tennis, sustainability, and um, also a little bit on the underhand serve uh, topical issue this week. So let's I mean, let's start with some tennis. Uh, how are you? Where are you? How's the arm? Where, uh, where, where are you at these days? So I'm home um, in Florida, uh, been here for geez, a good seven weeks now, um, just been rehabbing since Australian Open. Um, the uh, elbows getting there had to still, you know, force me to withdraw from New York, Delray, and Acapulco. So that's been, you know, pretty tough. Uh, but I feel over and, you know, overall, have uh, kept pretty positive and just taken the mindset that I do what I can each day to get better. And the plan is to uh, leave to Indian Wells beginning of next week um, and hopefully be ready to compete there um, in just over a week's time. I, I don't know if you, uh, I don't think you overlap, but we had Mike Costa on, former Illinois player last week. I, I saw that. <laughs> It's uh, he he was good fun, but one of the the topics he talked about was injuries, and he said, "Listen, in, in comedy, uh, at least you don't have to worry about missing time and getting hurt." How are you dealing yep. with this? I mean, you, you know, you you have a great year. You're in the top ten. You got off great start to the year. Won a tournament in in India, and then have an injury during the Australian Open. Uh, I you haven't played since Melbourne, have you? You know, I mean, you know, injuries is. You know, something that's obviously part of the game, part of being, you know, a professional athlete and you, uh, you know, you do everything you can to avoid them. And I think, you know, overall, I, I felt like I've uh, been on the uh, on the better end of uh, better side of that. I mean, obviously, in 2016, um, it was a really tough year for me injury wise, but I felt I learned some good lessons from that. And uh you know, it's never easy uh, seeing, you know, your competitors out there playing, uh, especially tournaments that you did well at last year. I, I won New York. I made finals of Acapulco. I would love to be out there right. again, right. not just defending my points there, but they, those are great tournaments that I really enjoy playing. So that part is, you know, it's difficult. You just have to try and do your best to keep a positive mindset and understand that it's part of the trade. It's, it uh, it happens, and uh, fortunately, with it being an elbow and not a knee, I I have been able to get into the gym a lot, and I have been able to 
at least train on the court because I pretty much can do everything but serve. So it is frustrating that I'm so close to competing. Uh, but at the same time, I know that as soon as I can start serving, I'm going to be back really quickly because as a result of spending six, seven weeks at home, I feel like I'm in great shape. I feel fit. I feel strong. Just need to be able to get just a little bit better so I can obviously start serving uh, at 100% again. You can always serve underhanded. I hear that tactic is uh, uh, fa- fallen in great favor. I know. It was funny. I just had that conversation with my wife this morning. Obviously, I think Kyrgios pulled one out against Nadal or he attempted one. And uh, it's funny how there's an unwritten uh, rule, I guess, or an unwritten code that uh, deems the underhand serve um, not sportsmanlike. Uh, I, I tell you what, I've played a few guys when they return from extremely far back. And I sometimes think if, if that's something I could perfect, maybe it would be something worth bringing out. But I guess... Uh, <laughs> I guess it's one of the things that uh, is not sort of um, accepted by uh, by the tennis world. I, I don't. We, we this is not the purpose of this podcast. But as long as you brought it up, <laughs> I you, you've got to explain that to me. I mean, I a, a guy standing, you know, twenty feet behind the baseline to return serve. I I don't know why that would not be considered a legitimate play. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like drop yeah, shot. Funny. Why is that any just, different from drop shotting? Yeah, I was thinking about it. I mean, it's it's well within the rules. It's well within anything, but. Anytime, let me stand, it hasn't been a lot, but a few times it's immediately uh, uh, reacted to by the crowd with intense booing, and it just seems to be rarely frowned upon. Um, and uh, and I honestly, I think that's the reason why people don't do it more, because, you know, often in practice, when you sort of, at the end of practice, and you may be sort of goofing, goofing around, you do a few, and, right. you know, if you connect with it, it's, it's really difficult, especially running in and hitting that. I mean, I think it would be something that is put in a good spot. But as I said, it's just one of the things that, um, you know, you don't do. And uh, so, you know, I don't think you'll be seeing me doing that any time soon. I'm going to have to, uh, you know, rely on, on my serve and my, uh, and my next ball capabilities. Which aren't half bad. I, I think you'll be okay yeah. if you uh, if you don't have that in your repertoire. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's like golf. I, I don't, well, you... you you do what you got to do to win, but anyway. Um, yeah. So I I appreciate you coming on. Um, last week we had a someone wrote into the mailbag and they had a question about the use of plastic in tennis, and I immediately thought, oh, I know a player who takes this issue very seriously and is very well informed. Yep. You had a, a terrific response, so I, I thought we could just talk a little bit more about this intersection between sustainability and environmentalism and tennis, and you. Um, You've really sort of become, you know, you're, you're a brand leader. I mean, you've sort of be, be, become a thought leader here. And, I mean, I guess just kind of start from the top. I mean, wh- what is this intersection to you? How does tennis fare? What can tennis do better? Let's let's just sort of start broad, and then we can narrow that down. Yeah, I mean, from my side, the interest I feel like I've always been pretty aware of the environment, and um, I've been involved in some sort of conserve, uh, conservation projects before, I mean, even just as a donor um, to some to, uh, to some of them. And earlier on last year, I ended up watching a documentary. I think it was, it was called Plastic Oceans and just really became more aware of just how bad the, uh, how bad the problem is um, and how it's you know, on track to get so much worse as well. Um, and, you know, I sort of looked at, ways that I could maybe 
help the problem. And, uh, you know, I definitely saw tennis and, you know, the platform that I have in the game to, to start there. And, uh, you know, I spent quite a bit of time talking with the tour and, you know, looking at ways that, uh, that we can make a difference. And, you know, without getting into too much specifics right now, because you said we could maybe get into that in a little bit, it's, uh, there's some definite challenges, but I definitely think that because then it's such a global game, it's also a good opportunity to bring it up and get people talking about it, which I think ultimately um, can have a very, you know, can have a pre, you know pretty big impact on things. And you got interested in this seeing a documentary. That's interesting. Yeah, it was just, I remember it was at, during the French Open, I mean, it was always something that I was aware of. I just didn't know the problem was that bad, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, I guess I was sort of, you know, self-admittedly, um, you know, living sort of blindly to, you know, how bad the problem is. And one of those things that once you have seen it, you, you know, you can't unsee it. It really changes your perspective on, you know, on this specific topic. Uh, and, uh, you know, my coach, Brad, uh, who we watched it together, he's, uh, um, you know, we've shared very similar thoughts and we started chatting about it and, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know it's definitely something that needs to that uh, that needs to be discussed. So, I mean, you you mentioned plastic in tennis, and I think fans just start you know you, you think about single use the, the the water bottles on the side of the chair, and you think about racket bags, um, you know that come from the stringer. What else? What else uh, um, have you looked at? Yeah, so you know, getting onto tennis and uh, seeing where we can make a difference. Um, there's definitely some you know, hurdles and obstacles. I mean, when, when, when you think of it, as you just said, the first thing you think about is the single-use plastic water bottles. Um, you know, and that's, you know, you could think, well, that's a great place to start. Let's have reusable bottles and um, we can reduce, obviously, thousands of plastic bottles throughout the year. You know, the flip side on that is that, you know, one of the first things that come up comes up is doping and drug measures. So, Having any sort of shared water sources, um, open containers, uh, it just right, right. In in locker rooms where you know there's a lot of com- you know competition and you know you you just can't have that. It would op- it would be opening up you know too many potential issues. Um, you know the second one we often because it's such an international sport we're often traveling to places where you know fortunately you you can't drink the local water supply um, so. It's, uh, you know, it's another reason why plastic bottles there are a necessity. Um, you know, then you can look at glass bottles, you know, glass in a tennis court. If somebody, if a ball kid knocks one over or there's wind or anything and now you've broken glass in the court, that's also not an issue. So as I started seeing this, I, you know, I realized that there are ways that we can, you know, help reduce that. For instance, a lot of the volunteer programs, um, and while the assistants and volunteers who help run the tournaments, they obviously don't need to be as concerned about the doping measure. So in countries where the water su- uh, source is safe to drink, issuing uh, reusable bottles, that's something that can definitely be um, used. So there's, you know, there's ways to do that. But for me, I realize the biggest thing that we can do is just get people talking about it. Right. And um, I think in London last year, uh, we were even that we were given the plastic, you know, water bottles to take on court. Um, and we needed to be plastic because of the glass issue. Um, 
we were able to refill our bottles and in a very sort of controlled environment with not a lot of people there. Um, it became a big talking point. And, you know, the biggest thing moving forward is, you know, it's being able to reduce the amount of plastics um, and, uh, you know, reuse them. Um, and But we need people doing that from all areas and walks of life. And it starts with everybody at their house just making better choices, uh, you know, seeing where they can reduce the single use of plastics, where they can uh, reuse them. And, of course, recycling, you know, those are the three hours that I sort of try and go by. Um, and the more we can just talk about that and get that messaging out there, um, I think uh, that's something that, you know, can maybe hopefully make a small difference. As you started getting more engaged and more involved here, what, what else did you notice? I mean, I tennis ball cans, um, I mean, I mentioned the racket bags when they come back from the stringers. What else struck you that maybe a lot of us took for granted or didn't, didn't realize? Yeah, uh, well, I think, the, um, as you just said, mentioned the water bottles, um, the racket bags that you just mentioned. Um, you know, again, so historically, those bags were done because gut a few, you know, a few decades ago. Um, if that was had any moisture, it would completely destroy the skin. I mean, it would completely destroy the um, the strength. So that's why you needed to cover them up. Um, today's strength isn't as susceptible to that, those sort of things. Um, so that is something that can definitely be reduced. And even if uh, you know players do want to use the the bags, um, like myself, and the reason I use the bags is because if I don't, when the rackets are in my bag, the grips get, um, you know, scuffed up against each other. Um, it helps me organize my rackets. I know what's going on. Right. But I have six plastic bags, and I'm using them for the entire week. And when I'm done with them for the week, I use them here at home as in laundry when I'm at the courts. So I'm just reusing them. So, you know, that's, I think, something that can easily be done where uh, instead of going through hundreds throughout the week and, you know, players are just throwing them away, just give a few to each player and they can, you know, reuse, reuse those throughout the week. They'll make a small difference. So the plastic bag, that's a pretty prominent one because you see it on TV a lot. Um, the ones that sort of came to mind a little bit more and I became aware is, especially in the catering, um, in the restaurants, uh, you know, when if you're not eating there and you're taking food away, it's in, uh, obviously, you know, plastic takeaway containers. It's plastic utensils. I mean, and this is going on throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the whole grounds at all the different departments. Um, you know, and a big one is just out on the grounds as well. Is are the tournaments actually giving people and spectators and players a chance to recycle their products? Because, you know, we've seen that eliminating single-use plastics entirely is incredibly difficult and challenging. Um, I think we have to reduce them as much as possible and reuse as much as possible. But we definitely need to the times we have to use them have options to recycle. And that's something that we're looking at and making sure that there are enough recycling across the ground. And then, of course, you start thinking, well, what's happening to these bins? Just because it's a recycling bin, you know, it's a proper, uh, you, know, you know, the proper uh, management of that. Are, right. are those recycling bins actually going to the recycling plant as opposed to just being all collected in the same trash? Because that would be kind of... Um, you know, obviously, that would uh, right, right. Be, uh, be sort of pointed. And then I also realized, you know, there's a lot of tournaments which I don't think people know. And I've, you know, mentioned these tournaments. I think they should make it more of a, you know, a, a, a public thing. So I think it's great. Um, for instance, at the O2 Arena, 
Um, and at Wimbledon this year, every bit of trash that goes through the tournament is sorted and recycled. And that's not something that's something I didn't know about, and that was something I became aware of. I also became aware of US Open has a whole bunch of great initiatives um, in terms of you know everything we're speaking about and everything on this topic. Um, so, so it's great to see that there are people aware of this. Um, and obviously, the more people are, the, are aware, uh, the more of an impact we can have. It sounds like the tournaments have been fairly recept- receptive to this, even though, you know, it's, at some point, this has an added cost, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, especially in today's age, and this <laughs> is also um, another conversation sometime, is, uh, it's a very interesting time. Um, you know, the structure of ATP, you hear a lot of, pe- a lot of people talking about it. it is, right. You know, it's half owned by the tournaments, half owned by the players. A lot of times um, what those two parties want are opposite to what the other party wants. Prize money is obviously a, a big one. But this is one that I think everybody can get on board with. Uh, you know, I think there's, um, there's a, as you said, there might be a few costs uh, involved, but you know, I think that's something that we can figure out and, you know, and work together because this is something that, you know, I speak of in just a sport of tennis. And I think we're in a position to actually make, you know, uh, a real difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm curious about the pushback because I feel like these conversations on, on its on its surface, on its face. Sure. Who doesn't want a cleaner planet? Who doesn't want sustainability? And then you say, you know, Jamie and I were just bitching about paper straws, for example. Um, but, you know, people have, we all have these thresholds, right? Um, yeah. Has anyone said, you know what, I'll, I'll ride a bike instead of take a car, but, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I, I want to use a different Evian bottle every time I take the cord. I mean, has has this been met with any pushback? Um, you know, n- not really. You know, to uh, to be honest with you, I've had... You know, I really, I really would have to scratch my mind and think of somebody, you know, who's, you know, people have had that pushback. If anything, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've had the opposite. I've had quite a few players, you know, reach out and say, um, you know, this is, you know, something that they've been doing and uh, something that they really are passionate about. Um, you know, Dominic Team, somebody who comes to my mind straight away, who's been very aware of this and has been, uh, you know, has his own... Um, you know, in endeavors that he's taken. Um, you know, there's been a bunch of players, singles and doubles guys, um, you know, that, that feel very strongly about it. Uh, so, you know, so far, no. I mean, this is still in sort of early stages. We still um, are working at putting, you know, good proposals and plans together for tournaments. So, you know, I haven't got into that stage yet. Hopefully the tournaments will be on board. Um, you know, I know that some some of them maybe have sponsors that supply the waters. Um, you know, small things. As right, an example, right. some tournaments provide maybe rare water bottles, like 330 mil, like Coke-sized water bottles, and you end up going through, you know, literally sometimes, I mean, 20 of them. Um, you know, and uh, maybe having ones that are liter-sized. Uh, just reduces the amount of bottles there a little bit. So I, I don't know about that sort of pushback. I mean, you know, that's something that's yet, that's yet to be seen. Um, for me, the biggest initiatives that I would like to see, um, you know, definitely just the availability of recycling bins across the grounds. And, of course, that does come with, as you said, I mean, I, I don't think the actual bins are that expensive, but, you know, making sure that they get taken and are sorted correctly, 
I mean, that is manpower. Um, so that needs to be done. I would really like to see the initiatives and starting of um, getting the, the audiences and people coming to watch involved. So having maybe each day of a tournament, call it the uh, whatever you want to call it, save the planet uh, recycling days and just really make it a big deal that day. See the messaging on the big screens, see the messaging out on the grounds. Because um, I think when those are the sort of things that I think will have the biggest impact, even more than us, uh, you know, trying to reduce the amount of water bottles because you know, I think the one needs to be done, but the one of just spreading that message, I think, is probably the most powerful thing that um, uh, that uh, that we can do as a sport. No, oh, sure. And you've, you've got hundreds of thousands of people in one place, exactly. and there's a, a nice affiliation. Um, I, I got a question this week that obviously doesn't deal with plastics, but I thought was interesting, asking about uh, tennis and all the air travel you do. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I actually went down the rabbit hole a little bit, and you know, I mean, one one cross country flight I will have you know is basically, you know, that's that's twenty percent of the greenhouse gases we will use an entire year of driving. Um, on the other hand, you're not taking a steamer to Wimbledon anymore. Um, yeah. Anything we can do about uh, air travel? Um, you know, so one thing that we have looked at. Um, and I think started with this conversation with plastics and when I started talking to the ATP about it is there's been uh, this idea of not just looking at plastics itself, but a bit of more comprehensive thing is what can we do a sport to be as green as possible. And of course, um, you know, air travel is one that definitely comes up um, and the reducing carbon emissions and your carbon footprint Right. Um, and tennis players travel a lot. And, uh, you know, one of the things you can say is, well, maybe make the calendar such a way that you're not traveling as much, um, where you sort of crisscrossing and making sure everything flows. And, you know, I know being on the council, that is a very, very difficult task because each tournament, you know, has certain uh, you know, commitments sure, uh, sure. each week, uh, you know, there might be a holiday week and that's why that tournament needs to be there. And there's just, there's a whole lot to go through. So um, that is something that is on the radar. Um, I had a great conversation with um, Marcus Daniel, the, uh, the doubles player, and he actually told me about a lot of great programs out there where um, you can, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, these programs set about trying to reduce carbon emissions. You, you know, depending on how much you fly, you can make a donation. They use this donation to, um, you know, whether it's uh, finding trees or, you know, there was quite a few measures they, quite a few measures they take, which, um, you know, helps it. I don't think you'll ever be able to get tennis players not to take flights because that would be impossible, right, right. at least in today's age until some new technology comes along. So what can we do to offset them? Um, and I think there are some measures, but that is still in the, I think, sort of earlier stages and something that still needs to be looked at further. Do you find this message plays differently in different parts of the world? Um, you know, I, I would, you know, I would have to think so. Uh, you know, if you, from from the sort of research that I've done, um, you know, the biggest, at least of the, uh, you know, the biggest problem areas are in the 
you know, Asian right. continent and Asian countries. Um, and, you know, people have said that to me, well, you know, well, well, it doesn't make a difference what people hypothetically in the USA do because the problem's so much worse than Asia. I mean, of course, my first response is, you know, I definitely don't subscribe to that at all. I think everybody should try and play their part as much as possible because, you know, even in a country like the States, there's hundreds of millions of people. The amount of plastic that gets consumed here is immense. There's a very low recycling rate. So, you know, there's a place for it everywhere. Um, but I do see that the need that, you know, especially some of the third world countries, that it's, it's really bad. Um, and, uh, you know, I think those are the areas that really need to be focused on a lot. And, you know, again, with tennis, we do play in that part of the world. So maybe we can sort of make a bit of a difference and get people talking, get people, you know, aware of it. But, um, you know, I, I do think from a, from the different parts of the world with different socioeconomic, you know, backgrounds, um, sort of culturally, um, I think there are some differences in, you know, the way people view different things. But I think when you can show them what the end result is and how it affects you, um, you know, I, I, I think then you're going to have most people on the same page. Right. Um, so finally, I want to ask you, you brought up the council and we can we can save a, uh, a longer discussion about um the, the makeup of the council and the ATP board and politics for another time. But I, I am curious how your work on the council, but also you, your, your work here, how does that intersect with your ambitions as a player? Um, you know, you, you have a, it's, it's longer than it ever was, but you have a relatively short window to do as well as you can as, as an athlete in the past. I think that's prevented a lot of players from having much interest or devoting much time to, activities outside of hitting a ball. I mean, how do you balance sitting in a boardroom and even going online and communicating with tournaments about sustainability? How do you balance that with, I want to be the best tennis player I can possibly be? Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, it's definitely difficult. And I think that's where some of the problems lie and, you know, the difference between tournaments and, you know, the players side, um, you know, it's great to see the level of interest players have had and, the, the players who I've been on the council with over the last few years, how passionate they are um, about these different topics and wanting to get involved more. Uh, but it's difficult because, as you said, um, you know, our biggest goals are you know, training, competing, doing the best we can at our careers in the time we have available. Um, you know, I think some of, some of, some of the meetings are long, uh, We've had some pretty long council meetings where it's been, you know, upwards of six, seven hours, and that can sometimes be very tiring. Uh, for me, it's, uh, you know, still have to have my priorities. So, you know, being the best I can and doing the best I can in my career is still my number one priority. And, um, you know, as I got old, I think, and managing my time and seeing, uh, you know, how I can do that most effectively, I. I find as much time as I feel comfortable, you know, giving in terms of reaching out and some of the players matters like, you know, prize money, calendar, um, pensions, uh, you know, there's quite a few things that, uh, that we discuss at from a player level of basically how can we make the tourists attractive for as many players as possible. Um, but it's, as you said, it is a little bit difficult because, you know, I would definitely like to spend more time on that, but, 
you know, my biggest goal and my biggest dream my whole life is, you know, how to be the best as I can be. And that's, uh, takes, that's very time consuming and you have to be sort of have a very one track mind with that as well. So there's a bit of a balance, bit of a balancing act going on there. Um, certainly I think, you know, when my time is done playing tennis, uh, I think my biggest passion is one of them is the sustainability. I think I'd definitely like to get much more involved with that um, when I'll have more time. Um, but right now, yeah, it is a bit of a challenge. And I do feel like sometimes I'm not able to put in as much as you know, I potentially would like to. You have a top five uh, ranking to sustain. Uh, this was great. I, I hope we see you at Indian Wells. I hope we see you in full health. But um, I think you're really to be commended. <laughs> for this thank you so much um, this, this, you. this is great and uh we will uh let, let's you know let's let's as more developments develop let's let's stay in touch yeah thanks so much john and uh, uh nice being on the show all right thanks kev take care all right thanks for kevin for spending some time with us we again really admirable this is an issue that impacts tennis but obviously goes much more broad than that and as someone who tours the world and has a real platform uh good to see him using it i also i feel like we should add that already you see the impact. You get these press releases. You see tournaments having announcements about different recyclables. Uh, good for him. And uh, we will, uh, we'll again, sort of update you on, on new initiatives there. Uh, Jamie, you listen to that. Tennis and sustainability. Why not, right? Why not? I think uh, what's interesting about sustainability is that I think people are either all for it or they're just they just don't care that much to think about it i never really that's interesting i i just feel like you know some people i we were talking about this earlier but you know i recycle but i also drive a car every day commended so um you know i drive i I drive in an eco mode but i do so i think uh you know i think we all can do something better to to help out and i actually when he was talking about the documentary i uh you looked it up? No, no, no. I, I watched... You watched the documentary? No, I watched uh, 60 Minutes, and there was Ooh. something on Midway. Classic Island, oh. Yeah. Sharon um, Alfonsi and Michael Gavshon, I'll have you know. <laughs> uh, I And that was the first thing yeah, that came to Island, mind. Yeah, Garbage Island, Yeah, which for me was interesting because it literally is, you know, the Midway point and in the middle of the middle ocean, Pacific, and it, yeah. it, it catches all this right. literal garbage. I mean, everything from, like, Q-tips to giant pieces of plastic and garbage cans. Oh, every two-liter bottle washes up. Right. It's a great, you know, will you link that piece? I'll, I'll send you the link. Sure. That's my um, friend Sharon did that great two-part piece. Yeah, but, I um, thought it was interesting. No, but I, I mean, you say people care or don't, and I feel like there, there's some of that, and some people are just pigs, and other people are very committed to this, and I feel like, I, I kind of feel like a lot of us fall in the middle. Well, well, the problem is, though, when, when you fall in the middle, you really, I feel like you just fall on the side of, not really caring oh, because Jamie. because I mean I I would say I fall in the middle but but I do things that go against no that's that's what I I'm you know what I I don't own a car but I fly all the time and you and I both hate paper straws but right. oh. I try to be mindful of recycling <laughs> I mean I feel like we all sort of have these thresholds and you know I used to compost I no longer do I, I feel like everyone sort of makes their their individual sort of we we all draw our lines. But, um, no, it's, I mean, I, I think plastics is a sliver of, of a larger issue. I do think, and Kevin sort of t- talked about it a little bit, I mean, I do think some people have this, well, what, what good is it going to do in my little corner of the world when right. China has, you yeah, know, yeah. Very, very few environmental regulations? 
But I also think his response is great, which is if everyone just does their part and spend less time worrying about how this is being offset in China and just, you know, there's, there's a there's a huge free rider problem. But right. I think that the flip side is uh, the data is really scary and sobering. Well, I have friends who, you know, come over to visit and they'll throw a water bottle or throw a, you know, a beer bottle or dude. something in, in, in the garbage. And I'm always just like, leave it on the counter. You know, I'll, 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 I'll put it in the... But it's it's funny because people are kind of ask you like, well, why? Like, why do you do that? You know, and it's just kind of how I always grew up. My dad always took the newspapers to the recycling, and I would go with him. And I just feel like it's the right thing to do. But uh, yeah, it's hard to explain to someone. And I feel like the if one person does it, we all make right. a difference. Reasoning sometimes it doesn't really work with. No, people. but we all. I mean, it's uh, sometimes it's a sacrifice, and sometimes you say it's really piggish of you. Not to take that one extra step and put your stupid Coke bottle uh, in the recycling bin. Um, I will point out, too, Tennis Channel, very good about this. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. We're all given water bottles were to use, and you won't find plastic cups lying around. Um, I like your question, though, about how the players react to it and if there is pushback. Because I feel like one of the things we see beyond like the, the racket, um, like the plastics from the rackets or things like that, but... Um, players are so superstitious when it comes to sitting in that chair. And so I think of like, you know, it's uncomfortable for me to drink from a bottle I'm not used to, or I like the feel of plastic, you know, when I'm in the middle of a match. And so for me, I feel like that definitely could be a source of pushback for players because, you know, they don't want to change anything. It's very, you're very habitual and, and very superstitious. So I could see. Just call them by name, Jamie. No, You're talking no. about habit and superstition and water bottles. Who could you possibly be referring to? No, no, to? I swear. I was not, I'm I not named. Um, no, I mean, I think the other issue, too, and I think this is something that tennis always has to confront, is that different issues have different resonance and different weight in different cultures. And um, Serbia, for example, has, has a, a history of unionization and workers' collectives and collective bargaining. That's great. Other countries are much less union-friendly. So when you petition Player X from a, a, a player raised in a culture that doesn't have much of a history with labor unions, it's very different than when you bring the issue up with Novak Djokovic. When you bring up, well, you know, we, we have this all the time. I mean, this, this is something that gives tennis its richness, but also can be frustrating when it comes to building consensus, that different social issues are reacted to differently in different countries. Um, that's that's also sort of what I was getting at. I agree. And I think, um, you know, the U.S. is is probably a little bit behind in terms of, in compared to, to Europe. Yeah, certainly uh, Australia, you sense, and certainly in Western Europe. Right. Um, I actually, I sat on a panel in the fall, and it was about creating um, fabrics for, for sport and for performance. And one of the interesting things I took away from the panel was that the U.S. Um, is not very good about sustainable fabrics and producing sustainable fabrics. And I think that's another kind of issue with players is that, you know, sponsored by big companies, and a lot of the times yeah, these exactly. big companies I mean, are not producing right. sustainable fabrics. I mean, they're fabrics made from recycled pieces from the ocean and, and things like that. And I'm sure, you know, you're not going to see... Uh, oh, look Look how many players have deals with Evian. Um, right. That's there's, there's a lot an employer. Of, yeah. I think it's a... In, a as a player in this conversation, I think it's a difficult position 
to be in a different a difficult position to take right. even yeah right and, and also i mean competition you i mean you mentioned it was superstition but some of it too is comfort i mean if nike's right. going to give me a new pair of shoes every match and that's going to make me feel comfortable and might win me one extra match a year i've got to weigh that against the waste that's being created with uh wearing i, I, I it's so funny players are weird with their f- shoes nba players too but some players absolutely demand new pair of shoes every time they take the court other players can go weeks and weeks and till right. they're toe is literally going through the yeah. rubber. Um, little tennis in the last hour. Naomi Osaka announces Jermaine Jenkins as new coach. Um, you had any, some thoughts, thoughts on about that? <laughs> no, I'm a, somebody wrote to me and they said it's so yeah. obvious. She's raiding Serena Williams' camp. And I'm thinking like, this no is one's how, doing this under duress. This is kind of how it works. talking it's to someone like, here about this recently. That This is how the tennis coaching carousel spins i mean this is how sports spins like the new england patriots assistants become head coaches i mean it's more so in tennis than elsewhere but i think that's just because of the turnover and we've talked about this recently with just the more personal relationship uh with an athlete has with a coach versus a team with a coach but yeah it's um should be interesting um, it was well, quick for before I, I Indian Wells, so she's not going to go there. No, that's that's interesting. I mean, this this was only two weeks later, and she's coming to defend, uh, you know, probably the biggest title of her career outside. Obviously, the biggest title of her career outside the Slam. So big juncture for her. Good for Naomi Osaka. I think the other thing that's weird about tennis that was kind of exemplified in in Naomi Osaka announcing this, re- you know, a few hours ago was. She, you know, posts a photo on on Twitter when they went out to dinner, and there she's like, "Hey, this is my new coach." <laughs> Had a great dinner. <laughs> Whereas, if this is the New England Patriots or this is the Lions, but you that's know, why we love tennis. They, yeah, there would have been a formal press right, release, press and release. A hundred this, people would have signed off on it, and agents would have. Uh, this is the contract. This is how much they're getting. This is this right. is all the details. And with tennis, we get a an iPhone photo from dinner. You know what? You gotta love it. That's why we love it. Every, everyone's uh, independent contractors. Everyone's their own boss. Can you hear that music in the background? Yeah. Is that is that Macy Gray, who I just got an email was playing in the building today? Did you get that email? Is that happening now? Sounds like it. Um, all right. The only other issue I can think of, um, you know, where, where are we? February is always a strange month for tennis. We're getting ready for the desert. Um, tennis Channel will be there uh, and have a full presence. little plug for uh, the employer there. But um, this Curios Nadal match, which just looked, batch, which just looked crazy. Um <laughs> And of course, Kevin. Kevin and I talked about the underhanded serve, which I do not get for the life of me. Clearly, I mean, they, it drew booze from the crowd, but it also clearly displeased the player on the other side of the net, Rafa Nadal, who does not usually do displeasure at the opponent. Uh, it takes a lot for him to say something pejorative. And I don't know if you saw his quotes afterwards about Kyrgios, but he clearly uh, did not take favorably to that. Kyrgios knows tactic. how to push the buttons, huh? That Kyrgios to me is a. <laughs> sports psychologist life work and just when you're ready to write him off he has a match like that and shows I, not just talent but actually some courage and just when you're ready to say i think he's turned the corner and he's ready he behaves like a 12 year old it's crazy you know he disappears right you know he he comes up every once in a while usually for something non-tennis but right. from from the win today i was so interested to read about his he's previously beaten 
world number ones and oh, world number twos. Multiple wins over. I mean, it's like he's six times or something. Yeah, like that. he gets it, up for these big matches. It's insane. Right. It really is. You know, you forget about it because of everything else in between. Right. But uh, you know, as we always say, who no, knows what could happen if if he really strung together some some you know quality what? Everyone, matches. Everyone, like uh, we we use this word polarizing, and those who's you know. Those who look at him uh, with disfavor will point out that he's. I don't know what's he ranked now. So I've looked at set. You know, guy's got to be ranked number seventy. I mean, yeah. he's way outside the top fifty. Yeah. Um, and his supporters will say, "Here's a guy who beats Djokovic, Federer, Nadal with with some regularity." Um, he's a complex cat. Came out. Do you see that? Came after me on Twitter last week. I did not respond. Did he? Uh, he didn't like something I'd said about Jack Sock, which I, I thought. I mean, it was it was candidly silly and not worthy of a response. I mean, if Jack Sock had a very good year, and now he's struggling to win matches. And if, if the Boston Celtics win 55 games one year and they lose 55 games the next, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say there's been a dramatic shift, and I wonder what's wrong. He'll it's also kinda, have something to say about that. Kind of, Yeah, and he, of all people, <laughs> would have something to say about that. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it was silly, but I also did – it did sort of, I thought, provide a bit of a window into his personality, um, whether it's defending, I thought a combination of like admirably defending his friend, but also I thought kind of a weird misunderstanding of the the rules of engagement, and you get praise when you win, and yet when you're a top ten player and suddenly you're out of the top hundred, sorry, that's something fans will be talking about, and they're well in their rights to do in media as well. But anyway, um, he also has shown that he consistently is on social media and engaging with. Oh, I mean, journalists. You, you remember at the U.S. Members, Open, remember yeah. we went after Donna Vekic, and what was interesting to me yes. about that? So D- Donna Vekic uh, tweet. Do you yeah. remember that whole thing? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The time code to me was the most fascinating thing about this. He right. clearly was tweeting at Donna Vekic, pe- pejoratively, and there's there's history there. But he's going after Donna Vekic literally within minutes of what he must have sent that tweet either as he walked to the locker room or as soon as he like plopped his bag down and right. sat down. I mean, this is what players do. I mean, you see them. I see this in Australia. We do our courtside interviews mm-hmm. right at the lip of the court. The players get done. They go into the tunnel, and Tennis Channel is there to greet them. And you see them a lot of times. They've already, between the time they get off the court and the time they see me, it's about 15 feet, a lot of them have already clearly started to check their, their phones. mentions. Um, oh, sign of the times, Jamie. Um, <laughs> Got to turn off those notifications. Turn off your notifications, exactly. <laughs> what uh, What else should we be discussing uh, from the wacky world of uh, tennis? Interesting. Nice to see Dan, Dan Evans' uh, spirited week of tennis. Uh, we, we had a very moving victory speech uh, in South America. Um, what else? San Vavrinka, that was 10 days ago, uh, Played one of the more entertaining. I actually saw this match. I was in Europe and saw this match live against Nishikori. That was a great tennis match. You forget how Stan Wawrinka is. It's one of my favorite players to watch. Um, all right. Again, we are going to Indian Wells next week. Maybe we'll call Delpo in call in from Indian Wells. What? Oh, yeah. Delpo, unfortunately, is out. The defending champion. That guy cannot catch a break. The tennis fates owe him one. Um, and his ranking is going to take quite a hit. You remember he beat Roger Federer in the finals of Indian Wells last year. Yep. Um, but is still... Recovering from that from that knee injury. Uh, I'll call in from Indian Wells. Let's, let's do that next week. Um, all right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to Kevin Anderson. Thanks, as always, Jamie. Uh, if people were inclined to leave a review or subscribe, is there a place you'd recommend them going? They can go to Beyond the Baseline on iTunes and hit subscribe, leave a review. And people have been pretty good about Twitter 
recommendations for guests. So keep those. Yeah, we've got a well. bunch of those. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, all right. Thanks, everyone. And uh, we'll do it again next week from the desert. Thank you.